This special edition of CES Tech Talk is brought to you by Dell. Hey, everybody. With the Consumer Technology Association, I'm Tyler Suters. We are the owners and producers of CES, the world's largest, the world's most influential tech event there is. And one of the key themes at CES 2020, gaming and esports. Now, more and more brands are backing esports, and with very good reason. Something like 40% of brand exposure in esports broadcasts came from companies that aren't related to gaming. So think about that, reaching a distinct gaming audience, but not necessarily a gaming company. Esports offers direct access to critical consumer groups, among them 18 to 35-year-olds, and this is a group that may be especially likely to have cut the cord, so brands may not be able to reach them through traditional TV. So today's conversation is with Dell, the owner of Alienware, an iconic brand for hardware in the gaming sector. And we're talking to a current gamer. Uh, if I just give you the handle Elige, and you're a gaming fan, you know exactly whom I'm talking about, an up-and-coming star in the sport. Also, a former gamer who has turned gaming team CEO and one of Dell's directors who is focused on gaming specifically. It's a conversation about how brands are navigating the esports space, which is growing very quickly, and why this is such a powerful medium to reach customers. That's all on this edition of CES Tech Talk. All right, we have a trio of experts from the gaming industry joining us from CES 2020 and one from Parts Unknown. Uh, here in Las Vegas, Brian Desias is Consumer and Gaming Global Marketing Planning Director with Dell. Brian, glad you're with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Ab it. Absolutely. Steve Aronset is co-CEO of Team Liquid. Steve, glad yes. to have you here in Vegas, too. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, and joining us from afar is a gaming legend from Team Liquid, John Elise Jablonowski. And John, it's a blast to have you with us. Thanks for taking time out of your busy training schedule. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, but look, we've got a long, wide-ranging conversation ahead of us. Let's start at, at step one. And, and Brian, I'll, I'll begin with you. Dell, how did you get into the gaming space to begin with? I know you've been here a long time, but what was the inspiration behind that for this company? Yeah, so it actually goes even um, further back from, from Dell, right? So if you think of uh, Alienware. So mm -hmm. Alienware started back in the late 90s. And so really on the premise of building gaming PCs uh, that could play the, the latest games at the best performance possible. And that's kind of the basis of it, right? We wanted to deliver that ultimate gaming experience for gamers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that core, that core brand tenant that, that was always there from the beginning that has kind of been our guiding principle ever since. Mm -hmm. So even today, that's still Alienware and Dell's guiding principle within gaming is to deliver that ultimate gaming experience. And so that's, uh, that's just been true since day one for us. So how does the marketplace look for Dell right now, Brian? Hardware, software, a mix of both, innovation woven in throughout. Yeah, so it is, um, it is a really dynamic marketplace. So we have, um, from, from a gaming perspective, Alienware is the number one brand in the world when mm -hmm. it comes to um, what gamers are looking for from a performance side, consideration side, and so on. Um, but it's expanded significantly. It's not just about PC hardware. It's really about the entire ecosystem around the PC. So think of keyboards, mice, headsets, even down to mouse pads, right? Um, there's an entire ecosystem that, that surrounds it from a hardware piece 
Um, but really what brings it together is the games and that people are playing, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody's buying a, a PC just to have a PC. And they have a PC to be able to play a game. And that's mm -hmm. really the bridge that we play is we have the technology that allows gamers around the world to enjoy their passion, which is gaming. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to things like eSports, and I know we'll talk uh, some more about that, we are that technology brand that enables players to be the best and organizations to be the best they can. So it's kind of our role in this. <laughs> well, that's a great segue, Steve, into where you are with Team Liquid in that if you want to be a, the premier team across a number of gaming, you know, individual gaming sets, um, you want that partnership, right, with a key software hardware company, a brand name that is really well known and can deliver you the best. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So. Um, Team Liquid is the most prestiged and accomplished esports organization in the world. And the reason for that is because our athletes, our players, are provided the best in class equipment to train on every single day. And the analogy would be Serena Williams, right? She has a particular racket that she wants to play with, mm -hmm. right? And a gamer is very particular about keyboard, mouse, headset, mouse pad monitor it's all a critical component to the training and if you can get that extra millisecond right <laughs> if you can m become more efficient in the way that you practice then we have an edge on the competition mm -hmm. and when we believe that because of what we use to provide to our athletes like john that that has led us to hold and hoist more trophies, <laughs> right? And be in the finals more often and have won more prize money than any other esports organization in the world. Yeah, um, John, let's turn to you right now. Um, great comparison that, that Steve laid out. I was thinking more about, you know, along the lines of LeBron, right? And you got shoes, you got nutrition, you got gear, on and on it goes. But it seems like within the gaming sector, I mean, there's no comparison to another sport really in terms of the equipment you need and how integral it is and directly uh, affects your performance. Yeah, I, I think that esports is definitely the most particular in terms of uh, the type of hardware that you need. Like for playing any type of esport, you're going to need to have you know the most uh, like the most comfortable mouse for you because like you're going to want to be able to like hit that shot or like be the most precise that you can in the game that you're playing, or like the keyboard that feels the most comfortable, uh, stuff like that, and other types of sports. I mean, you have, I mean, you have your bats and stuff like that. I mean, if you have a bad bat, I'm sure it's like really uh, not as uh, viable as you know having the perfect one that you want. But I think that you'd still be able to like, you know, get get by. But in esports, I think that if you have like a bad mouse, like a bad sensor, that is really going to be hindering your gameplay a ton. And so that comes back to you now, Brian, with the role that Dell plays and and Alienware and Team Liquid have one of the longest standing team sponsor partnerships, you're coming up on a decade now. Mm -hmm. How did that start? And, and Steve opened up for you too. And how did that evolve over the last 10 years? Yeah, actually I would love for Steve to take this. He tells uh, an amazing story <laughs> on how this all came together. Yeah, that was pitched right over to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's, um, so, you know, I started my life in gaming when I was very young. You know, I was the, the kid that was anxiously waiting to go to the computer lab to play Oregon Trail. Right. And uh, I, ended up starting my own League of Legends team and traveling around the world. And in the first season before the LCS, which you can think about as like the NBA or something, mm -hmm. before it was formed, we played in the world championship. And we ended up finishing six and I played on the team. You know, I was good back then. <laughs> and 
after we won that, uh, Marcy, who works at Alienware, she came up to me and she said, hey, we'd love to work with you guys. You guys are amazing. We love you. And I was like, really? Like, <laughs> this is great. So that was the that was the, the first day that we decided to work together. And um, since then, we've really just decided to identify problems that exist within the gaming ecosystems and communities that we both love. And we work to solve those. So within that comes a giving back to our players, the communities, and most recently, two years ago, we built a gaming facility. Because within esports, uh, most players were training and working out of gaming houses, right? So you'd go to the living room and you would spend eight hours training with your coach and then go back to your bedroom, right? So a bit antiquated. And we knew that we needed a facility to properly train and to have the right structure. And so we, we, uh, spoke with Alienware about that and we said, look, this is the need. We, we need a better mental health for, for our players and we, we believe that it will lead to better performance. And we did it. And we built a facility in Santa Monica and we just um, broke ground on a new facility that will open in Europe. And uh, these, are, these are ways of, of solving problems that lead to a very mutual uh, benefit for all constituents, um, the fans, Alienware, Team Liquid. Well, Brian, Steve brings up this, this great you know, uh, uh, nascent moment, and who knows how many decades ago it happened when someone first went to an athlete and said, hey, I'd like you to wear my shoe, right? But, but, but that happened at some point. There was, there was day one or, or, or year zero somewhere. So what was the inspiration for Dell to get in this space and, and first reach out to a, you know, a quality team like, like Team Liquid and, and get that relationship going? Yeah, I, it, it comes back to um, what what gamers are really interested in is that game, right? And so we, internally at Alienware, we're very much gamers, right? And so um, when we're passionate about something, when it comes to a certain game, certain individuals, and so on, um, we want to take, quite honestly, what we see as a kind of our responsibility to help move forward, um, move the industry forward from, from our perspective. And so, you know, what are, when we choose who we're going to partner with, who we're going to work with, it's very much a... It's a process of understanding the people. Mm -hmm. um, we've always had this conversation, like it's more about the people than the process or, or what we're going to end up doing. Right? Mm -hmm. um, we know where we want to go. We want to make it better for the professional athletes. We want to make it better for gamers, whether you're a professional athlete or not, mm -hmm. um, and help the organizations move forward. But we want to partner with the right people that have the same kind of motivations. And so you hear Steve talking about mental health of the players. You hear them talking about how do we move them out of, you know, playing video games and training in a kitchen area and then walking 10 feet to go to a bedroom, right? How do you give them the proper nutrition? And so for us, we can supply technology to enable that, but just mm -hmm. overall to help the industry and help gaming get to a level where it is viewed as a traditional sport is, right? Mm -hmm. um, Steve mentioned that League of Legends is the NBA, right? So the athletes should be thought of in the same kind of way. The organization should be thought of in the same kind of way. But the teams can't, the organizations can't do that by themselves, right? Now, even the league can't do that by themselves. So how can we do that, right? And so partnering with Team Liquid for us to go develop this training facility, we want to be able to, to work with the best from Team Liquid. But on, on top of that, we know it's going to have a broader impact in the industry, right? So since we first announced, it's been two years now, I think it was, maybe three years, there's been just this, um, this growing of 
of more kind of similar facilities trying to emulate what we've done with Team Liquid. In my very biased opinion, I don't think anybody's gotten close. <laughs> um, but uh, and if they are, we're going to definitely one up them with the the new facility in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, we take a step back. And it's great that there's more of these team houses or more of these facilities moving out of team houses because mm -hmm. it's just going to continue to to make our sport more viable. Yeah. Well. John, let's get your first-person perspective on this because with the growth that Steve and Brian are talking about, with the sponsorships, with the partnerships, that puts a lot of pressure on you all as players, right? Um, you know, the more prominence you get, the higher the stakes, the more pressure I'm sure you put on yourselves. Um, I don't really think that it puts on too much pressure. It, it really gives a really good safety net, like a good support line for us. Whenever there's like something that uh, that we need or any type of problem that we have, I know that going to like liquid and and asking them to try to support that type of thing uh is, is gonna happen uh like any anything like with mental health uh we got a really great like sports psychologist that they got for us and i think has been like really integral for our success and you know with the facility i think that was like really helpful as well like having that type of uh work and personalized balance so having having like the sponsors uh like alienware uh, be so helpful to us, I think is a, is only in uh, a positive for us. So talk about why that help is needed then, John, with, with the competitive schedule, how it's evolved uh, over the last, say, four or five years, and, and you know what that does for you in terms of your training schedule, your travel schedule, and your playing schedule as well. Uh, I mean, it's actually gotten really crazy the past few years. When I first started being a, a pro player in CS, uh, like the events were really more of a weekend type of thing, like three or four days. And then slowly but surely they got more advanced, like seven or eight days or nine days, just so that there would be more media production. And instead of being like one event every month, maybe it's two events, maybe it's three events, maybe it's four in a row. So it's, it's gotten really taxing for the past few years because as you are a better team, you get invited to more tournaments. And then you have to travel more, which makes it really stressful and having to make sure that you are playing at the top of your performance throughout all the jet lag changes and time zones that you're going to be in. It's, it's gotten really tough in the past few years. So uh, I, I think that there is going to be a need for a change for that in the future, at least for CS. Yeah. So, Brian, what about that change? What do you see as, as driving this cultural shift, um, the popularity of gaming, the, the growing mainstream awareness of what esports are and, and what it brings to all of us? So it's, it's kind of proven out by itself from, from a viewership perspective. So mm -hmm. um, when you think of um, and the numbers I have top of mind are, are uh, League of Legends, but it's very similar with CSGO and, and that, that schedule as well, where um, when you look at viewership of, of these tournaments like League of Legends, um, they outrank, uh, they're, the number, they're the number three sport viewed in North America. It's NFL, NBA, and League of Legends. They've yeah. surpassed the other traditional sports, and they're on a path to have more viewership overall, right? So mm -hmm. when we think of esports, we a lot of times think of niche viewership or niche interest mm -hmm. when it's very much a broad mainstream um, thing, right? And so I think it's because we've helped to build um, the, the industry from that perspective, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's the gamer and the viewer, right? And so that that um, 
that's a great indicator for where the, the, the space is going. Mm-hmm. And what we can't do, and this is why the, the relationship with Team Liquid is so important to us, is we want to build it for long-term sustainability. We want to help the industry. We don't run leagues. We don't run organizations, right? But we do have a role in helping um, sustain the longevity of it. And so we don't want this to be a one-and-done kind of esports kind of flashbang, right? We want to make sure that we're helping where we can to establish this as a long-term path forward. And so these are the kinds of investments we try to do with the leagues, with the organizations, and, and pick the best ones that we can. And that's got to be um, unique from your perspective, Steve, in that you, know, you talked about that, that moment when you first approached and, and, and felt like a, a professional, right? People are reaching out to you. What do you see as the key moments in that evolution? Um, I'm sure some happened when you were a player, and some happened with you as you know, a, a team lead. But I think also as a fan, there've got to be some key moments for you that you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I believe esports has been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was growing up, I remember my parents would take me to Blockbuster, and there were competitions where you had to try to get the high score in Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Right? And kids, uh, kids. There was once a store called Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it went out of business. <laughs> so, um, and. You know, that was that was esports because there were other people in the blockbuster watching me play. (laughs) And yeah, the fans, you know, there were three, (laughs) but, but, you know, it was limited to the ability of being able to broadcast the content in HD for free. Mm -hmm. And so I think the evolution of esports is the convergence of a few factors all kind of coming together to create this momentum Mm -hmm. and one of them is definitely the technology and that's the streaming component so it started with justin tv and then moved over to twitch.tv which allowed the broadcast of this content and you could watch it and there was also a community associated with it so you all you had a chat that was next to the broadcast where you could converse with your friends while you were watching the game together mm-hmm. and you had this digital relationship with somebody in the world right mm-hmm. and you just knew their their screen name and <laughs> so i think that was an important component and the second one was just the types of games you know i i grew up playing starcraft and i had my external modem you know, and connecting on AOL and, you know, the key and the running man, (laughs) you know, somebody picks up the phone and you get, you know, disconnected from your game and you're shouting. (laughs) So uh, there was this ability of being able to play multiplayer in a reliable way. And that was League of Legends, actually. Mm -hmm. And they were the first real uh, dialed in and reliable multiplayer experience. So you had that coupled with the ability of broadcasting and you had all these gamers that were watching their parents and their friends scream at the television and they're like, that's so weird. Like, why, why are you screaming at this like big skin getting thrown around? Like, <laughs> that's not me. And there was a lot of us. And so when we all started watching, mm-hmm. the numbers got to the, where the numbers are. And all of a sudden, you're like your your dad screaming at the TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm the crazy one. <laughs> and, and I think you know w- what's happened too is the the digital transformation, right? That, that Steve's talking about, right? I think it's you talk about football. It's funny. Um, we we've gotten to a point where gamers we're kind of the I'll say my generation. I won't say anybody else's age. Um, my generation, right, <laughs> is hardcore gamers, but we had to figure out the technology along the way, right? Mm-hmm. We, building our own PCs, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. But at the same time, we didn't have 
a generation before to help guide us. So we just kind of figured it out. And so I think we're like first generation, I think second generation is now really starting where gaming is just, that's why it's mainstream now, it's just a part of it. Mm -hmm. Where you have younger audiences just growing up where it's natural to be a gamer. You're not fighting the, oh, gamers, the, you know, the, the stereotypes that people think about with gaming, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think just over time, um, the digital transformation has helped get there. But additionally, we're, we're growing up, right? And gaming is just a part of, you know, like going to the movies. Yeah. You're yeah. gaming. You're watching esports. <laughs> John, to what extent do you uh, adhere to or appreciate the history of, of what Steve and Brian are talking about and, and how it all started? And is that relatable for the space that you're occupying now? I mean, you've been a professional for, for you know, coming up on five or six years now. Um, how does that affect where you are today? I think it's really cool to hear about like how uh, esports really started like back in the day, like how all the orgs used to function and, and how they used to interact with the sponsors. It was, it was a really different world to how it is right now. Everything is a lot more professional, a lot more, uh, you know, strict and a lot more guidelines for how you're supposed to be doing things. It really is like a professional uh, athlete type of job. Uh, I, th I think that uh, it, it really puts into perspective how far that we've come in the past couple of years, especially. I think that there's been massive growth since I've started becoming a, a pro player. And that, that only helps uh, long-term long sustainability when we're looking at the scene as a whole. Uh, just like looking at, uh, you know, future uh, esports players that are going to be coming up, the ones that are now, the environments that are going to be, you know, brought up in. So I, I think that it's all uh, a really good perspective to have. And it's, it's good to have that. Um, what about the investment and the time it takes for you now? And I'm talking about like a, a CSGO boot camp, right? You've got the travel, you've got lodging, you've got to talk about connectivity and, and the hardware involved for practice right now. So as the sport evolves and, and, and being a player and what that means evolves, um, can you walk us through a little bit what it takes logistically to get ready for one of these boot camps, say? Uh, like getting ready for it or just like having the best type of boot camp possible? Yeah, both, I think, right? They go hand in hand. Well, the most important thing to me, like from my perspective from it, is that everything needs to be as easy as possible. You don't want to have something that uh, is logistically like kind of hard. So you don't want to be, you know, taking like a 10 minute Uber to the to the like facility like all the time, like when you want to go like just play. Because from my perspective, a lot of gamers just want to uh, like take like a really short walk and just like get on the computer and start playing. Or when it's time to eat, they have it all really planned out and you know, they know the time that they're going to get it. They they know where they're going to go. They don't have to plan like an order an hour before. So that makes it really helpful when we go to our training facilities and, and we have that type of thing. Uh, like we, we have like a chef that uh, is going to like prepare food for us at a certain time. And we don't have to worry about when we have to order it because we've had boot camps in the past where we, we actually have to order food like right before our scrim just so it arrives in time for our break. And it's, it's all really messy. Uh, and in terms of like other things, I, I think just having like the most optimal hardware uh, that you're going to have at most tournaments. So having a PC that gets really good frames and having a desk that is uh, tournament compliant, having those types of things is really important. And Alienware has all that type of stuff in our training facility where we don't have to worry about like, you know, having uh, performance issues or uh the wrong height for our desk because the desk that we have are adjustable. So we can get all the types of things that we have in tournaments right in the same place where we practice. 
and that is the best possible way for us to be performing at our best uh, capabilities. Yeah, so that's a great point, uh, John. I want to turn to you again, Brian, with the fact that you know you've got to listen to your players, certainly the teams that you're dealing with, that you're that you're partnering with, but also you'd have to know the space, right, in terms of the other players. And, and, and when I talk about players, I mean like the brands, right, and, and, and what's going on. So let's dive in a little bit into Alien Wheeler's partnership with, with, with Riot Games, what that means and where you see that going. Yeah, so we've been partnered. Uh, this was, we just completed our first year uh, formally with mm-hmm. League of Legends globally, um, where they, they've standardized on Alienware PCs and displays um, for, for all their tournaments. Um, but what's interesting, a little, bit, a little bit of backstory on it. So yeah, please. season one, the first year of the finals, was actually run on Alienware systems as well. So we have actually a very long history of working with League of Legends in, in their eSport and running the tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just um, now gotten to a point where um, in the conversations with them, we express interest, hey, we want to help move your, your tournament forward. How can mm-hmm. we enable that? And so one of the things that was a, a major challenge for them is how do they bring scope and scale to rolling out hardware globally across, I believe it's 13 different leagues now around mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to do that on global um, platform like um, like the World Championships. And so when you think of Alienware and you think of Dell, scope and scale is absolutely there. And so what we've been able to do is really help enable them to manage a worldwide fleet of PCs, mm-hmm. a worldwide fleet of displays, um, and help service that um, proactively. So before tournaments are run, right? They're, they're running Dell-specific, um, hardware that's, or software, excuse me, that is actually looking to see if there's going to be a hardware issue before it happens. And so if they think there might be an issue, that product comes out of the fleet, gets fixed before it goes back in. Yeah. And so when you hear John talking about the hardware and the reliability, um, that's, those are the kinds of things when we, uh, from a Dell and Alienware perspective, think of what we can do, um, that's how we think about it. It is very easy to go say, hey, here's money, Go throw a, a, a logo on a banner or something like that for mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, a lot of companies out there. Um, we don't approach it that way. Mm-hmm. We approach it of do we have a meaningful place in this area, and if we do, let's go in. And if we don't, cool, somebody else can step in. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, uh, uh, one of the aspects that that you and I had talked about previously, Steve, is the fact that um, you know the partnerships, the 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 connections that you make. Um, CES 2020 is a great example, but th- these are the, the brands you're looking for uh, aren't necessarily gaming brands always, right? This is something, you know, Dell, for example, is, yes, deep into gaming, but it's also a brand that is well known by people who aren't gamers. So do you see that as, as is it the state of play now? Or is that where we're going in terms of uh, 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 someone like Team Liquid and, and the partnerships that you want to develop and, and, and the relationships that you're building? Yeah, I, you know, for Team Liquid, we, there's a lot of aspects to our business. And one of them, and probably the most important, is the athleticism and the um, accomplishments that we're able to achieve from having our players and teams compete, right? Mm-hmm. And a focus on that. Uh, another focus are our fans, and I think that most esports organizations are not doing a good job of recognizing all of the loyalty that is being expressed from fans around the world, right? And there's no geographic predisposition to an esports team's fandom, which is very typical in other traditional sports. 
And that's both a weakness and also a benefit, right? And so if we can establish a better relationship and recognize, you know, when somebody tweets at us and jumps on our Discord or watches us on YouTube or Twitch or they go to one of our CSGO tournaments in Kiev or whatever it may be that we hear you, we see you. And so we're looking for partners that can help us be an extension of that experience where we may not have the infrastructure in certain regions in order to continue that conversation and to listen to them. And so um, I think that is another area that we're looking for team, you know, other partners that also share in that. And Another big piece of it was interesting here at CES to, uh, 2020. I was at a um, listening to a panel, listening to the uh, uh, Tim, who's the CMO over at Delta, and he was talking about an incident that happened a few years ago. And you know, they y- y- you can't buy their values, right? And even though this incident cost them like forty million dollars, and we're very much the same thinking, you know, where. You, you can't buy our values. They're, they're, they're core to Team Liquid, and that's why our fans are fans of the organization, our teams, and our players. And sometimes it requires very hard decision-making, but aligning with other brands that share that methodology and that frame of thinking is very important for us. And that way we can speak to our communities in, uh, in a line way. Uh, that's a great point, Brian. I'll turn to you with, uh, you know, what exactly CES 2020 means to Dell as a nexus of, of all of these um, players in the tech sector being here, right? Whether you're um, buying, selling, innovating, ideating, or, you know, just a, a brand ambassador, right? What is Dell looking for in that space? And what do you get here at a place like CES? Yeah, so um, at CES, and actually specifically CES 2020, we have, uh, we're always looking for what is that next um big announcement that we're going to be able to make publicly to showcase that Dell and Alienware are moving technology and the industry forward. Um, so we always look at this as kind of a, uh, a major milestone in the year where we're going to come and, and plan our announcements around CES, make sure that we're um, we're basically driving the news out there um, with our announcements. And so for us, it's a major, it's a major moment. Um, it is great to see um, just how gaming and esports continues to be a major part of not just announcements, but the conversation uh, across the board when we talk to technology and uh, technology companies and technology brands. Um, it's not just hey, here's the fastest thing or the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest item or whatever it might be. It's how is that going to go enable something like gaming? And so um, that conversation is absolutely happening here. Um, throughout CES and that kind of thing is uh, we're looking forward to continuing it. Yeah, and Dell's very much in the center. I know. Um, well, John, we'll we'll turn to you. You're you've been watching CES 2020 from afar, and, and I'm sure tracking the innovation. What is it though moving forward that you really want to see as an innovation that will matter to you as as a player and as a team member in esports that that you're really looking forward to? Honestly, I'm not really too sure. I, I think that there's a lot of like things here and there that, uh, you know, companies should be doing. It's, it's kind of tough because I, I know a lot of uh, uh, players, they, they are really set in their ways with the, the stuff that they like. Uh, so it, it's up to companies a lot of the time to, you know, show that, you know, this is actually what you want. And when, when there's like a product that comes out like that, then that is like what makes everyone flock to it and be like, wow, I, I do need that. So uh, I, I don't have that type of uh, innovation myself. Uh, but I know that there is going to be something out there that when I see it, it's going to be something that 
most people are going to want to get. Yeah, if you keep playing at an elite level, as I'm sure you will, John, you, technology in the sector will find you. <laughs> we'll, we'll discover the innovations you need. Um, yeah. It's tough to, to push pause and, and stop the conversation here. Um, so let's all, John, plan on doing this again at, at CES 2021. Um, John Jablonowski, you know him best as a Liege Team Liquid player. Great to have you with us, John. Thanks for joining from afar. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Steve Aronset is co-CEO of Team Liquid. Brian DeZayas, Consumer and Gaming, Global Marketing Planning Director with Dell. Uh, a pleasure to have you both with us and taking time out of your busy schedules here at CES. That was great to be here. Thank you. Yes, thanks so much. That does it for this edition of CES Tech Talk. A reminder, subscribe to the CES Tech Talk podcast. We are on all the major platforms, and that way you won't miss an episode and you can actually catch up on a lot of the episodes you missed in the run-up to CES 2020. As always, none of this is possible without the true stars of our podcast, our executive producer, Tina Anthony, and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. You two are the best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon. <laughs>